what is the price point what does the amount of money that you're pre-qualified for how much how far does that money buy you what neighborhoods has the inventory at that price point how long does that inventory sit on the market at what price points do properties go under contract and come back on market at what price points do properties sell in that first weekend with multiple offers what are rents in that area for the type of property that you're looking to buy and it's impossible for you to not have specific goals and learn your market. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome, Arizona and Western Seaboard, to another Azria show. Azria, Arizona Real Estate Investors Association, and we are here to serve you with another episode, another podcast designed for you. So today, I'm Marcus Maloney, your host, and we have Mike Del Preet, our executive director. Hello, hello, welcome. And we have another one of our great subgroup leaders here, Patrick Allen, who hails from Tucson, and he basically covers all things Tucson for us uh, here at the association. Yeah. So Patrick, man, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Good, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good to be finally in Azria Studios HQ. So yeah, you guys got a cool go. setup here. Yeah, we've always been on Zoom, man. This is not your first rodeo, but mm -hmm. first time in studio hosting the show or being a guest on the show. Yep, thanks yeah, for being yeah. here. Yeah, glad to check it out with you guys and excited for this conversation. We got some stuff to go into. Let's yep, do it. Let's, let's dive in. It. You got a starting question or you want me to kick yeah, it off? Yeah, so... Um, Tell us about the overall, and you can keep it kind of brief, you know, Tucson. What's going on in the Tucson market for us up here in in Phoenix or in Prescott, things like that, that's really not familiar with what's going on in Tucson? Yeah, so Tucson is very much the little sister to Phoenix. I mean, we're the second largest city, second largest populace in the state of Arizona, and we are the much more affordable alternative. So while it's pretty commonplace for Phoenix market to be down on an appreciation rate year over year, you know, giving back some of the equity gains that uh, you guys uh, had in the early part of the 2020s. And you certainly outpaced us then, but uh, we're more flat than going downward. So our year over year gains are not matching inflation by any stretch, but you know, we're in the three to 5% year over year range and our days on market are somewhere in the mid to low thirties right now. Okay. So what's um, historically you guys are usually what? Hundred grand on average um, sales price, hundred grand lower than Phoenix. Do you have a, a ratio? Yeah, so we're right around four hundred. You know, okay. in the three ninety to four hundred range, depending on the month right now. And I mean, at the peak of the housing, you know, market when we were at four percent interest rates and below, we were three fifty, three sixty, three seventy five, and so yeah. Okay. And you guys are busy out there. I mean, I was talking to a hard money lender we had there a few months ago at that at the panel at the monthly meeting in Tucson. And he said he didn't have enough money to keep up <laughs> with the deals going on down yeah. there. So I mean, yeah, especially amazing. as credit is tightening, it doesn't surprise me that hard money, private money solutions are, are finding more deals to be done out there. Mm -hmm. Love it's it, man. a good problem to have. So what about yourself in Tucson? So you're a real estate agent, right? Yep. So that's, who, the, that's how I pay my bills is doing real estate sales. And then with respect to Azria, I run the new investor subgroup. I've been doing that since 2018, I mm -hmm. believe. 
and yeah. then just got on the cash flow board game bandwagon. So we're only like three, four months into that. Awesome. Okay. And and you do our market update. Yep. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you yep, wrote a once book. a month. If you're curious <laughs> to know what the market stats are doing, you can hang out with us at the Tucson Association of Realtors and I'll go through all that stuff every month. Yep. Second Tuesday of the month. No, so. I'm no Tina Tambor. I wish no, I had her data. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can get her to span down to, to Tucson. That'd be pretty cool. But but yeah, we'll keep you guys posted about it. But he, he, you are, you did take the place of Bob, Bob Zachmeyer, mm-hmm. who is a legend in, in notes and real estate investing across the country in general. So I think, like you said, you made a great point. And I think this goes to a lot of things. And like even people doing a lot of deals, it's been a seller's market for all these years. You made that the statement, yeah. right? That was like, yeah. hey, man, it was pretty, it was, the market was just going like yeah. this. So it was pretty it was easy wrong. just to say. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're you're going through the tough times and he, all the changes, and so you've been doing had, great. He had man. all the typical markets for sure. Yeah, yep. and I love I love referencing Bob Zachmeyer because I mean he was just such a staple yep. for years and years when I was just you know someone sitting in the uh, in the stands, and you know I really respect him for actually retiring. I mean that's the whole point of yep. investing is to have the cash flow to be able to do that. And sure enough, you know he and his wife they spend one month every three months in their RV traveling around seeing the country and enjoying life and. And he has fault him for that. And he has a charity event coming up. So it's bit yeah. It's for Make a Wish Foundation. Note builder. Right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. So yeah, check, one. check that out. So sorry. So you do the real estate agent thing. And do you specialize in do you take any type of client or do you like to specialize in certain types of clients? Yeah. So I would say that my single one client avatar that I like working with most are people moving into multifamily property. So if I could choose my own clientele. It would be someone who's house hacking a two, three, four unit property. Now, for whatever reason, most of my clients these days are people looking for five to seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar Airbnb properties with vacation homes. And, mm. you know, I'll do that. It's not really what wakes me up in the morning. I really like helping people get into real estate investing, okay. but um, I try to work as few just non investor owner occupant buyers as I can. Um, I'd love to get to my business to where I'm specializing in the small multifamily space. And um, I, I think I'm somewhere in the top three of realtors in the Tucson MLS for actually closing multifamily properties. Okay. Awesome. So so what's going on with the uh, small multifamily properties down in Tucson? You know, is there a slowdown, a pickup, kind of what are you guys seeing? Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's easy to say it's unaffordable, but I think there's a lot to be said that. You know, multifamily properties that are down there, although there are options in terms of inventory, a lot of it is owned by out-of-state investors that have done no major renovations to the property Mm -hmm. over the last three to five years. They just bought it and held it. And now that property values have increased so much, now that rents have increased so much, they feel as though they can list those properties for sale. But these are just the same, you know, this used to be a a four-bed, three-bath house, and they put a couple of walls up, and now it's a triplex, and Mm -hmm. now they should be able to sell it for $200,000 a door, and the numbers just don't pencil anymore. Okay. All right. So let's segue into the subgroups. So you do the the beginner's group, which is on the first Monday of the month? First Monday of the month, yep. And the Cashflow 101 board game, which is on? It's usually the second Saturday of the month. But the way that I like to schedule it is we meet up the first Monday for the new investor group. We meet that next Saturday for the cash flow meetup. And then the following Tuesday, we meet up at the Tucson Association of Realtors uh, for the main meeting. And then the Thursday after that is when Mr. Andy Keel's class on raising yeah. private money happens. So it all is it's all on all that two week, a week yeah. period. Okay. So a lot of stuff going on in Tucson on that on the second week of the month. So 
So since you mainly focus on with like a, a lot of new investors, you through since 2018, I'm sure you thousands of people wanting to get into real estate investing, right? So what are some main challenges that you think a new investor faces when they come into the business? So particularly with new investors, it really just comes down to understanding what your market is. Um, I really like the concept of baselining, which like most things about real estate investing, I stole from bigger pockets. So baselining is just the act of seeing what is on the market. Uh, just send me any great deal. I'll buy a condo. I'll buy a duplex. I'll buy whatever you got so long as it's a great deal. Well, you don't even have the capacity to yeah. understand what a great deal is. But if you can be specific about that, it's very easy to learn what this community values are. And so you're able to make those quick decisions. So how does the beginners group help them do that? So I've sort of settled into this uh, seven month curriculum, so to speak, where we go all the way from investor foundation, why it makes sense to get started investing right now, irrespective as to what the market is doing, all the way through how to follow up with motivated sellers, how to find deals, how to analyze deals, how to write offers, how to conduct due diligence. And then we do um, just like a standard uh, local investor panel where I usually have a wholesaler fix and flipper, buy and hold guy, maybe a notes guy, maybe a burly model guy who just come and say, hey, here's how I built my business here in the city of Tucson and the mistakes okay. that I made along the way. That's good to get those different perspectives. Yeah. That way, you know, that new investor will know, okay, which avenue do I really want to go down? Totally. Yeah. And not to get ahead of ourselves in the conversation today, but I think the cash flow board game is another really great way mm -hmm. to get investors into the game of real estate because there's so much fear and uncertainty you know, when you're investing, you know, what you feel like is your entire nest egg and I can't afford to make a bad decision. Mm -hmm. And I know intuitively that if I make a bad decision on my first deal, I'll never buy a piece of real estate again. So this is a way to get some reps in, make some mistakes and and learn from those. Well, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says, do you want to learn how to fly a plane in the air or in a flight simulator? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And you always get someone saying, I don't want to be in, in the air, you know, but hey, but you know. As long as I'm not a passenger. You can do that yourself then. But yeah, no, play the game, go through the motions. You have big deals, small deals. You got to think, you got a joint venture, you got a mm -hmm. partner, you got to borrow money, you got to run your numbers. It's like you're doing real estate on a board game it's amazing yeah and a lot of people don't know this but yeah. i mean we're all familiar with rich dad poor dad we know about robert kiyosaki's coaching program but he did all this after he achieved financial independence like he was an entrepreneur i, I want to say he uh, made it big in the nylon velcro yeah. and wallet mm -hmm. business mm -hmm. and then he he tried to retire and then you know he and his wife made it six months 12 months and they kind of got all that out of their system and they said okay what do we want to do with our lives now that we get to decide and they're all about teaching people financial education mm -hmm. and creating the board game and creating all these books was their way of going about that. Yeah, very, very useful. What are some what are some things about Cashflow 101, like some aha moments that stood out to you when you started playing? So, yeah, I would I definitely think that. So when I was growing up in the realm of real estate investing, you know, namely late 2010s coming into early 2020s, it's all about cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. cash flow is the way you should never buy something that's not positive cash flow. And a lot of the reason why that sort of topic was prevalent out there is because prior to 2008, nobody was talking about cash flow. Mm -hmm. Everybody was talking about appreciation. It doesn't matter that this adjustable mortgage rate is going to increase in two years because you'll be able to sell or refinance right. in the future. So nobody was mentioning it, so they needed to draw a lot of attention to it. But people along the way have confused cash flow as the primary means of increasing your net worth over time. 
And one of the foundational things that the cash flow board game taught me is it's not, you don't achieve financial independence by buying a whole lot of three bed, two bath, single family homes that cash flow a hundred bucks a month a piece. Mm-hmm. It's through buying a piece of real estate, holding it for a period of time and selling it for a large profit and reinvesting those profits into bigger deals that produce more cash flow. Maybe that's commercial properties, maybe that's multifamily properties. But yeah, trying to play the cash flow board game without ever selling a piece of real estate. And I bet you it takes you four or five hours. Four greenhouses, one red hotel, right? Absolutely. But you know, cash flow one one cash flow one oh one versus a monopoly. Monopoly you try to bankrupt your friends, whereas cash flow it's a team it's a team sport. It's a, it's a partnership. Yeah. It's wealth is a team sport. So that's what it shows you. So if both of you want to jump in, um what what about so we're talking about new people like they how first for they should play and they have to play we do it in phoenix on the first saturday of the month as well but w- as an experienced investor you might say hey man i'm doing deals i don't need to go play the board game i get it i'm successful whatever what would you say to an experienced person i have some thoughts i want to see what you yeah. guys think i mean uh it's a way to test theories you know okay. it's it's like I said, you can play the board game and saying, hey, I'm not going to buy any real estate. I'm just trying to I'm going to try to get to financial freedom only by playing the stock market and see how that happens. Or I'm going to accumulate enough capital to pay off my own home mortgage to make my ex- living expenses as low as possible and see how that works out for you. And then in my own experience, I usually started playing the game by taking on a lot more debt than mm-hmm. I would ever feel comfortable taking on in my experience. And just how often does that lead to bankruptcy? And how, how often is taking those huge financial swings and then, you know, paying off your credit card debt, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, with future cash flow. It's just a way of testing these theories. Love it. I like that. Yeah, one of the things that I look at when playing cash flow is how can I strategically partner mm-hmm. with other board members or other members that's playing to increase my net worth without me outlaying a whole bunch of cash. Yeah. So there that's one of the things that I try and do. And you pointed out something really crucial. Uh, that that I try to point out all the time is that as the name implies, Monopoly is an anti-capitalist game. It was a mm-hmm. game that was created to say, oh, look how terrible landlords are. They're mm-hmm. just out there trying to bankrupt everybody. The only way to win the game of Monopoly is to bankrupt and force out right. every single other player. So you can't cooperate in good faith because mm-hmm. this deal that you're doing <laughs> with is eventually going to put you yourself right. out of the game. Whereas cash flow, the objective of the game is to have enough passive income to be able to cover all of your living expenses so that you can graduate out of the rat race into the fast track. And it's a completely cooperative game. Mm-hmm. Love it. So theory, joint ventures, yep. right? And, and, you know, the first thing that always pops up for me is, is keeps me on my toes, how we can do more or we could do better, right, in our mm-hmm. own business in real life. So it keeps me on my toes. And if you're already experienced, bring your kids, Right. Bring your 16 year old, your 20 year old, 17, whatever it is, 12 year old. We have kids that come as well. Just start, get the repetitions, get the exposure to your kids and sit there and you get to network and meet other people, maybe raise some money from someone that's getting into the business. But yeah, bring the kids. And and, and another yeah. thing with the board game is that the fallacy of the doctor, the lawyer, you need to be this professional in order to have a lot of money. But if you look at it, the the construct of the game is the people with the lowest amount of debt usually get out of get out of the rat rates the quickest. Mm-hmm. So it's a direct conflict to what we've been taught in school to where go to school, get a PhD, become a doctor, become a scientist and everything like that. And you'll be rich and you'll live the high life where in the board game, it shows you that 
those professions are normally like, the hardest to get out of debt. Takes you longer. Yeah, yep. yeah literally, because what tool are you using? So yes, if you're you get you get jobs. So if you're a janitor, you get the low, you know mechanic, whatever they say the low incomes are. It's using your mind. If you yep. use your mind and use the relationships and the tools of real estate investing, you could be living financially mm -hmm. free faster than a doctor. Yeah, it's the most highly highly yeah. susceptible to luck. Because on the one hand, if you have a reasonably low paying job, janitor, or truck driver, it's easy to achieve financial independence through one or two deals that are done yeah. well because you don't have a lot of living expenses. But we've also seen those games where the janitor draws the boat car oh, yeah. on the Bankrupt. second turn. <laughs> and yeah, it basically knocks them out of the game through, you know, no fault of their own. Their only fault is, you know. Wanting to buy a boat, even though you live in Arizona, I don't know mm -hmm. what you can use it for. See, so, so if that, so go to esri.org forward slash calendar, check Tucson, Phoenix dates, and when to play. If that conversation didn't get you excited, maybe real estate's not for you. Because I want to play. I, I love it, man. So. And, and let's also point yeah. out the obvious here, because one of the right. best things about the game is also one of the worst things about the game, in that it forces you to understand financial statements. Yeah. And that was yeah. a huge thing from Kiyosaki. So right when you get started playing the game. When you buy a piece of real estate, you got to record it, the mortgage on the liability side. Mm -hmm. You got to record the asset on the asset side, the actual value of the real estate, as well as you got to update, mm -hmm. you know, what your monthly cash flow is. And then when you sell that piece of real estate a few turns later, you got to erase all that. So this, there can be kind of a steep learning curve to it. But unlike any other board game that I'm aware of, once you understand how to play the game, that transfers directly into real yeah, life. Yeah. Love it. So hosting the game for four years, there's not one time someone didn't leave with an aha. Like, I didn't know that I could do that in life. You know, so love it. Any last words on Cashflow 101 before we uh, jump into the next topic? No, play the game. Play the try game. Out. All right. Give it a try. Jump out there. So so now real estate agent, subgroup leader here at Ezria. So we've been talking about house hacking. You got this wonderful book house hacking written by patrick allen let's talk about house hacking what is house hacking so i would consider house hacking to be any sort of long-term investment purchase that uses some combination of favorable low down payment owner occupant financing so we all know we want to get into owning real estate not just flipping it not just wholesaling it but actually owning it for the long term but it's really, really difficult to do that if you have to manually save up 20 to 25% of the property's value as a down payment. So house hacking is a way to get in for the least amount of money possible so that you can begin to gain not only experience, but also all of the revenue drivers that we understand that real estate can give you. Love okay. Any house hacking? Let me ask all the questions, Marcus. What's going on, buddy? You got it <laughs> going, on, man. You're rolling, man. Getting <laughs> your space here. We're supposed to be going back and forth, man. Dance so with the so, to dance. So with the house hacking, all right, <laughs> let's dance, Mike. <laughs> right. So so with the house hacking, right? Who is it favorable towards? Is it for because we always get the misperception, or I sometimes get the misperception that house hacking is for younger individuals that don't have any money that just want to you know, get into real estate. Is that true? So I think house hacking is the best way to go about it if you want a high return on investment. Okay. And that was a big thing that I learned when I went to the Bigger Pockets conference because I had just bought a triplex. It was exactly the area that I wanted to be in. It was the type of property I wanted to be in. And it was so difficult buying real estate with an FHA loan in 2021. I was just glad to be done with it. But the reality is, if you want to own the best pieces of real estate in the best areas of town, 
you want to do so with the least amount of risk, the least amount of money tied up in the deal, and the highest return on the dollars that you actually put into the property. House hacking is just going to be the best way to go about that. And the only people who don't house hack are the people who value comfortability more than getting mm -hmm. a good return on their money. So there's other ways you talk about in the book. It's not just rent out or buy a fourplex, rent that three out, live in one. There's other ways to look at house hacking versus renting mm -hmm. out bedrooms or what are, what yeah, are some if of those? If I'm going to say anything controversial about the concept of house hacking is that you don't need to rent out a piece of the real estate that you're house hacking while you're living in it. As far as I'm concerned, if you buy a house to live in comfortably with your family and then you live in there for two years, five years, 10 years, and then when you're ready to buy the next home in the better school district that's a little bit larger and a better fit for your family, and you don't wanna be a landlord, sell your initial house, transfer your equity into a larger property that's going to appreciate more because it's in a better part of town, and then eventually pay that off, and then lo and behold, you own half a million dollars or a million dollars mm -hmm. in home equity in retirement. I, I think that counts. And then okay. obviously you can I get agree. a better return by taking on more risk, either through doing a rehab of the property or by renting out all or part of it, either while you're living in it or just buy that starter home, move out into the better home, rent out the starter home, move into your dream home, eventually rent out the second one. I don't want to hash out the entire book yeah, here, yeah, but right. yeah, okay. any type of investment that is also used in conjunction with owner-occupant financing. Yeah, we don't have to get caught up in like, you know, you got to be this huge investor in yeah. two weeks. Yep. You can you go know. whatever speed you want. That's what's exactly. cool about there's it. No, there's no rhyme or reason, no right or wrong here. So if you want one house a year, go for it. One house well, every that, five years, go for it. Well, that ties into your investor identity, right? Yep. When, you, when we do the launch pad, we talk about investor identity. What is it that you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And some people, they just want the glitz and the glamour of fixing and flipping. It's like, all right, I'm not trying to do this to build passive income. I just enjoy doing this. And I'd rather work and do this versus working at T-Mobile or something like that. You know, so it's having that investor identity, knowing what you're trying to accomplish and then just work towards that and don't get caught up in, well, I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to try yeah. this. House hacking sounds great. Let me try that. It's, it's really honing in on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, order turns into chaos, like houses break down and it's a really necessary and important skill that somebody can come in and take something that is functionally obsolete and modernize it, get it to the point to where a family is happy to pay full market value for that piece of property. Whereas beforehand, nobody wanted it because it was, you know, all original and people hadn't mm -hmm. taken care of. That is a skill set that is not held by everybody in any given market. Is there for the traditional house hacking, buying a house, renting out bedrooms or the multifamily route, is there any tips or steps that someone that's totally new can take mm -hmm. to get started? So it starts with finding a, well, a little bit self-serving in this, but it starts with finding a good real estate yeah. agent. I know the question mm -hmm. is always, should I find a lender first or a real estate agent first? I like having them reach out to the agent first because any given real estate agent that's doing deals in a market is going to have their preferred local lending partners and they'll be mm -hmm. able to articulate to you why. But it's just, yeah, it's it starts with analyzing the deals that are out there that are within your price range. And then, you know, deciding this is the type of property that I'm comfortable getting in for a period of time, which is another thing that's really great about house hacking is that every single time you buy a piece of real estate, you sort of assume that this is going to be your forever home. So I need to find mm -hmm. everything that I'm looking for all at the same time without spending too much money on it. 
But the reality is both as a real estate investor and an owner of real estate myself, like I was in that place six months and I was like, okay, actually, no, I want to buy a bigger house in a better area and I want to do it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think we as a generation need to normalize the starter home concept that you should not expect to be buying your first home right. to be an improvement upon the home that you were raised in, because that was probably a move up home in your parents' for your, for story. Your parents, right? Yeah. It's knowing the basics and starting with that and working working your way up. Yeah. Get by the best home that you can in the best area that you can as soon as you can and always go bigger. So the reason we ask you to do everything that you do and write the book is because you've done it. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about one of your projects of house hacking, one a story or or that you've been through one yeah. of your scenarios? Well, I mean, it started with buying a single family home and it wasn't the best area in Tucson, but it was what I could afford. I moved to Tucson on a, something of a dream job. It was a lot of fun to do it, but it didn't really pay me that much of a salary. So I got into a home that made sense for me, held on to it for a period of a couple of years, then got into, like I, like I mentioned, my triplex. I like that it's um, a big cyclist down in Tucson. That's what initially brought me over to the West Coast. And it's right by mm -hmm. the bike path. And it's right by a great dog park. So that's so what, what I was looking the house? for at the time. You still so did you sell the house to get the triplex or what happened? There? So currently still own both houses. Okay. I'm in the process of selling the first one, not because I don't want to own it anymore, but just through playing dozens of rounds of cash flow, I realized that if I got my equity out of this property, I could deploy it in a way that's mm -hmm. more advantageous than just sitting on it and, and holding it forever. Right. I think it's really good advice for someone, for an experienced investor to tell someone that doesn't own any real estate that you should never sell anything that appreciates in value. But once you're in the game and you realize the concept of return on equity and you realize that, hey, I actually know a lot more than I did five years ago when I bought this property and I'm in a much better position to make a better decision. So it makes sense for me to to mm -hmm. get rid of that one. But yeah, you buy it with the intention of holding it forever. So then you went into the triplex, what happened? Went into the triplex. So I found the deal that everybody is looking for, which is to say it's a good location. It's got great bones. The exterior looks fine. There's plenty of parking, but the inside needed everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So full cosmetic updates. We did paint, we did flooring, we did new lighting kitchens, bathrooms. And when I say that, talking about the two rental properties right now, I'm still slumming it in my owner's unit. Okay. We'll get around to renovating that <laughs> one. And that was a tough realization for me as well, is I realized that I'm not going to spend money renovating my owner's unit just to enjoy it. I'm going to have to do that right before I move out into the mm -hmm. next place on the end of slumming it in. But now the goal is to buy a single family home in downtown Tucson, something walkable to Congress Street, 4th Avenue, uh, something historic, something in there. Why? Well, in short, I, there's a big bike race down in Tucson called the El Toro de Tucson, as always happens on Saturday right before Thanksgiving. And my parents, who live in Nashville, Tennessee, are effectively always going to come visit me this time of year to watch me do that race. So okay. I don't want to have to drive to the start line anymore. So and, and the reason why I ask you that is because it's formulated. Your investment decisions are formulated around your why. And your why is your enjoyment for cycling. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try and drive home. And that that's what Azria tries to drive mm -hmm. home to investors that's getting started is to know that baseline underlying factor of why you're getting into real estate and what you're trying to accomplish. And you're an, a direct representation of that because you know, okay, I'm moving from point A to point B to point C 
and all of it is wrapped around my why. So, yeah. man, I just wanted to drive that home. And we've been do- we've been dogging on Monopoly all throughout this podcast. But one of the things that I learned is as young as I've played the game is, yes, I want to own Boardwalk and Park Place. Yes, mm-hmm. I want to own Marvin Gardens. Yes, I want to own St. Charles Place. I want to own the best houses in all of these places. And yep. you can do that in real life by house hacking and continually getting into better properties in better areas. And you started on Baltic Ave. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Mediterranean yeah, habits, but I could afford, man. Yeah, yeah it's like, good. No shame. That's been a great rental. So on the triplex, and I know you didn't do traditional rentals in those, right? Which I think is pretty cool. Did you do like a traditional and like a short term, or like what did you do for the renters in those? So yeah, a uh, big shout out to my insurance agent who was able to get insurance on a three unit property where one unit is an Airbnb property. One unit is an owner-occupied residence, and one unit is a vacant property under construction. So wow. well done, Derek Karchner. Yeah. Yes, he's uh, Insurance Group. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I got into the short-term rental game mainly because I needed the flexibility of having vacancy in the month of November because if my parents come and visit me and stay for free right next door, then what's the point of even doing it? Obviously, there's a greater level of income generation that's possible when you're doing uh, short-term rentals, but... My job, like I said, that brought me out to Arizona initially was in cycling and triathlon coaching. And so I'm quite familiar with the demographic of people who will come to Tucson in January, February, March and just ride bikes because where they're living is it's not really feasible to be able to Mm -hmm. do that. So now I'm just on the other side of it. Now I'm a landlord with a piece of property that's right on the bike path and a knowledge of all of the best bike routes to ride around Tucson. So that's what I want my future business to be is I want to own a whole bunch of uh, places for people to come and chill and ride bikes and eat Mexican food. Yeah. All right. I love it. All right. Cool. Purpose. What's your favorite Mexican food in Tucson? So I'm going to say Guadalajara <laughs> grill, but I'm only going to say that because it is like a four minute drive for me. It, uh. is, it is one turn. If you're familiar with the Tucson market, it's or the Tucson Mexican food scene, Guadalajara is the one with the table side salsa, so they'll sit mm-hmm. there and mix it all. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that I live in Tucson. That's my favorite Mexican food place. <laughs> There's obviously so many options out there, but yeah, it's hard to just choose one. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, I think we're about to wrap it up, unless you have any questions, Marcus. No, I think... I think- we cover it quite a bit. We did. So how do we find you? How do we get a hold of you if someone wants to chat with you, man? Yeah. As a real estate agent, I make it my business to be pretty easy to find out there. So you can always look me up on asria.org slash calendar, all of my contact information out there. Like we had mentioned, the first Monday of every single month, we do the new investor subgroup. That following Saturday, we're going to meet up and play cash flow. So I'm at all the meetups. And then if you want to chat real estate, I like to make it my business as a real estate agent to if you want to get into investing, but you feel in some capacity that you are limited by what you don't know, happy to jump on a phone call, just answer any specific questions you have about our market or about next steps. I like to be somebody that gets you into the first property because if you can do one, you can do two. And if you can do two, then you can do as many as you want. Yep. So you all got all of the information, how to get in touch with Patrick. Go to asria.org forward slash calendar. All of Patrick's information is there reach out to Patrick. So if you're in Prescott, again, if you're here in Phoenix and you want to know information about Tucson, there's no better place to go than to uh, Patrick Allen. He has all of the information, demographics, stats, know the connections, know the people. So reach out to him. So with that being said, I think another successful episode as Rhea uh, show, I think we're around 
show 120, somewhere around there. We're really close. <laughs> you think so, Marcus? You think? Yeah. <laughs> getting bigger check, all we got to check those stats. Let's <laughs> no, we we're close. Yeah. yeah, we're close. Again, thank you so much, guys. Make sure you give us a five-star review. Show your love to us as we show your lo our love to you guys. Thank you so much. See you next time. Cheers, awesome. guys. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.